We are back, the Baggies Broadcast Summer Series, Episode 4, sponsored by Adoption at Heart. The series is in full swing. Joe, firstly, how's it going? I haven't given you any rest this summer, have I? We're just we're smashing these podcasts out all the time. We're, you know, players might be having a da- bit of off season, but we're certainly not having any off season. We're bringing the Braggy, the Baggies fans, some top quality listening, some top quality pods. Those players haven't got Johnny Drury barking at them, um, <laughs> keeping them going. Haven't they? That would be your role at football club, mate. You are like basically barker. a fitness coach, screamer. You'd be great in pre season, like when Tony Pulis should take the players up those Austrian hills running you'd be great just behind them screaming at them to get up that is that is johnny drawry all over um, but i'm very well mate i'm very very pleased with how these podcasts are going um we've just got unbelievable guests is the truth of it they're, they're doing the vast majority of the work for us um yeah and another absolute cracker today absolute cracker it's episode four this man is a bona fide baggies legend certainly in my eyes anyway um he's tough tackling he's hard as nails he was in some brilliant promotion sides um, he spent six or seven years at the Hawthorns. Paul Robinson joined the Baggies broadcast recently. And Joe, it was a great chat, wasn't he? Obviously, he's the first team coach at Millwall at the moment. Um, but we sort of reminisced about his Baggies days and it was uh, it made for good listening, didn't it? It was it made for great listening for two reasons, really. One, like you say, because he is a Baggies legend and obviously awful lot happened in his time at the club. He's got so many stories, so many highs and lows that he, he discussed with us. Um, but it was also great to get that perspective um, as a coach in the championship last season um, and I think it was nice to get it from Paul Robinson's perspective more than anyone else because of his character the way he is he is just he's 100% isn't he he's he's he's, he's just everything really it's in terms of his attitude is how you want every professional footballer to be really um, so to hear him talk about Albion last season there was of course that game at Millwall um, Valerian Ishmael's last game in charge said before on our podcast that I've never been so convinced ahead of a game that Albion would lose um, a game of football and obviously they did so to get his insight on that game the reaction of Albion's players and mentality that day um, was really really fascinating um, but yeah all, it, from start to finish he's, this podcast was so we were, it was just brilliant he's so, so much to say and so many interesting tales so again I think everyone's going to really really enjoy listening to it We'll say as well, we were recording, if I remember rightly, at half past ten with Paul Robinson. He turned up at, I think it was 10.28. He was, it was very, half very... half past nine, it was. Half past nine, sorry, and he was there at 29 or 28 yeah, minutes past. Very one prompt. one minute early. The following day, we recorded with Dan Ashworth. We'd agreed on the Wednesday. Dan thought it was the Thursday, didn't he? So we had to sort of frantically ring him ten past ten minutes after we were meant to record. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. We'll do it at 12. So we did get him the same day, didn't we? You wouldn't expect um, that from Dan Ashworth, would you? No. You wouldn't expect him to be bang on. Yeah, but he's probably spent it. He's got so many players' names in his head. <laughs> he's probably, you know, the last thing he's remembering is the time of the Baggies broadcast. But we got him in the end. As you know, we've had him. That was a few Paul weeks Robinson, ago. Paul Robinson, though, bang, wasn't he? No messing yeah, about. Yeah. Straight so, there. And I yeah. said to him, oh, nice and early. And he's like, standards. You've got to have those standards. Standards. Yeah, yeah. But um, as far as other guests go, we, we have got a few more coming up. We're not too sure how many. We've got a few irons in the fire. A, a very, one very big iron in the fire. Um, but we'll just we'll wait and see how it goes. But we're going to be doing these till sort of start of the season, um, and then we'll sort of we'll go from there and and see how it goes. So um, here we go, the latest episode, episode four, when the baggies broadcast met Paul Robinson. Paul Robinson, welcome to the baggies broadcast. Thanks for coming on. How are you doing? Yeah, well, good. Thanks, Johnny. All good. Yeah, thanks for having me on. 
No worries at all. No worries at all. Thank you very much for coming on. Uh, you know, you'll need no introduction to to West Brom fans, really. Um, you remembered for many things at Albion. I, my stats are correct: 238 appearances, uh, three goals. That goal against Villa in 2005, which a lot of Albion fans will remember really well, and some of the toughest tackles the Hawthorns turf has probably ever seen in its history. Um, so we're going to go through all that today. Um, yeah. And through your, your baggage career, you know you had a great career at West Brom. You know highs and lows. Um, but we're going to go right back to the back to the start, really, Paul. Um, mm. You obviously made your name at Watford, came through the system there. You know played in the Premier League, um, and then sort of 2003 come along, um, and you sort of made the made the switch to the to the Hawthorns. The baggage managed to sort of prize you away from from Watford. How did the yeah. how did that move sort of come about? Albion had just come down from the from the top flight. Um, Gary Megson came in, I'm guessing. Yeah, I think that the the, um, the move came about was a bit bit of a strange one, really. Obviously, um, I knew nothing about it until the day before I was due to travel up to the Midlands. Um, so it was quite interesting. Obviously, Watford were going through a tough time financially. Um, so they knew that they needed some money. Um, got a phone call Sunday night to say that uh, you need to go up to uh, West Brom tomorrow morning for your medical and for a chat with Gary Megson. Um, they, they want to sign you. We've agreed a fee. So you really, for me, it was okay. So you're not even going to talk to me about it. You're just telling me that I've got to go. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was a strange situation. But for me, um, it was a great opportunity. I looked at um, West Brom as a again another stepping stone in my career to to where I wanted to play and where I wanted to be. Um, the history of the club, the the facilities were were obviously on the up. So so yeah, I drove up the motorway and. And, and went and met Gary and, and had a real good chat. He was brilliant. Um, how he wanted me to to play as a player, how he wanted me to to earn the shirt. My shirt wasn't guaranteed because I was I was coming up against a, a quality player in Neil Clement, so I knew I had to earn the right to play in the team. Um, and that was my challenge. My challenge was to to go into every day that competition, the determination to play for West Brom and 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 to get my hands dirty. So so yeah, it was a it was a fantastic move for me in the end. You hear this quite a lot on sort of podcasts and former players talking about sort of moves and stuff. Do you get much of a say in that? Could you have turned around, Paul, and said, "You know what? I'm at Watford. I'm happy. I want to stay at Watford," or is it get on get on your bike and get up to West Brom? I think I think the Watford situation was a little bit more difficult to take because obviously I'd come through the ranks. I was a homegrown lad. Um, I never knew the financial problems how or how bad they really were until you leave. Um, obviously, it was disappointing because. The fans knew that I was one of their own and I never really got the opportunity to say goodbye to them. Um, but yeah, I, I think we see this a lot in football now. It's the quick decisions, the quick turnarounds of players that are, that are moved on and, and go on to other clubs. It's, uh, it's, it's part of the job. It's football, unfortunately. So, um, so yeah, we, we do get treated like a piece of meat when you're a player sometimes. And when you you know when you went into West Brom, what what, what were your first thoughts going in that changing room? Because they just come down for the Premier League, but there's some good you know some quality players in there. You mentioned Neil Clement, you know yeah. I think Jeff Horsfield was in that side who scored quite a few goals that season. Scott Dobie, Andy Johnson, Jason Kumas. Are you thinking you know real big chance to get back to the the promised land here? Yeah, definitely. I think we, obviously when you when you um, when you're linked with a club like West Brom, you always look at the players and and. Um, and when I first walked into that dressing room, I knew I was in a winning dressing room. Like I looked around the players up there, even like Sean Gregan, Phil Gilchrist, Russell Holt. Um, there were some there were some well-known players in there that had been used to championship football over the years, so they knew how to get out of that league. So for me, my challenge was to I've got to earn I've got to earn the right first. So I've got to come in, I've got to show the qualities that I can bring to the team. Um, and it was always how do I take Neil coming out of the team? But 
again, I had a great relationship with Neil and, and we, we connected really well straight away as soon as I got there. So it was, it made me settle in. And Andy Johnson obviously was a live wire. So he, he, uh, he kept me on my toes with his pranks all the time. So, you know, it was a real good group to go into. We, we know that all too well. Andy Johnson does the co-com <laughs> for, for West Brom. So he's always sort of bantering us, isn't he, Joe, about who's got the best podcast and stuff. You know, have you got any, have you got any sort of funny stories from that season or from your time at Albion, really, because you spent a few seasons with, alongside AJ? Any, any standout funny tales that you can, you can tell on this family podcast? <laughs> I just think that, that Jono, Jono had standout moments every day. I think with Jono it was. I think the funniest ones obviously were, were a few with Jonathan Green. They used to get Jonathan Green in all the time. So I think the dead mice in the back of his car was a was one of his pranks. But but yeah, he's like he super glued Jeff Horsfield's trainers to the walls. So <laughs> so yeah, Jono was always up to something. Um, the one thing Jono didn't like was cotton wool. That was yes, his. I've heard this yeah, story. Yeah, that was his. Right, that was yeah. his. Uh, that was his weakness. So. He knew that if he played a few pranks on people, he knew it would come back to him. So, yeah, he'd, he got cotton ball put in his trainers quite a few times in his pants. So, yeah, he, he, he didn't get away lightly with what he did to others. No, of course. And, and that season, you know, you were consistently up there. I think I think Norwich were also up there in, in the table as well. You know, what, what was it like on that first season under Megson? Because I'm guessing, you know, you're a tough tackling player, Paul. You know, you're good on the ball as well. But I imagine you're sort of Gary Megson's type of player, really. And a lot of them players in that side were. You mentioned Sean Gregan. Phil yeah. Gilchrist obviously had a couple of promotions under under Megson. You know what what was it? What was that season like for you personally? Oh, it was brilliant for me. I loved it. I, again, I made my debut against Norwich, didn't I, in the one 0 win at the Hawthorne. So so that was a great debut for me. Um, and Gary was Gary was brilliant. I mean, he treated everyone the same. No one was different. Everyone got told when they needed to get told what what the um, if they weren't doing the right things. Um, and that hardness of the group, the, the group knew that they needed to work hard. Um, uh, and and that's what was so special about it. Everyone run through a brick wall for each other, and we put our bodies on the line to to get ourselves promoted. And that season, you know, especially this is like this is more of a fan question because I'm a West Brom fan. You know, mm. Jason Kumas was obviously arguably one of my favourite players who ever played for West Brom. That season always sticks out for me. He scored some absolutely exceptional goals that season. Yeah. What what was he like to play with Paul? Because you know he's quite a bit of an enigma. No one's really heard about him since he retired from football. So he's slipped back into into society really and yeah. you know people ask if his attitude was sort of on point and that's why he didn't maybe achieve what he could have achieved but what what was he like to, to work with on a day-to-day basis and and sort of as a person and as a as a as a player I suppose well Jason was a, he was a very he was a very quiet person he kept himself to himself um he had his own circle of friends which is understandable certain people do they but as a footballer incredible unbelievable talent probably one of the talentedest players I've ever worked with um to use both feet, the way that he his his low centre of gravity, the way that he went past players in training and in games, and the, and the goals he scored, he just, they just looked effortless every time he took took to the pitch. So so yeah, people will probably look at did Jason really reach the heights? I don't think he did. I don't believe he did because I I could see him in in one of the top four teams of the Premier League with with the with the outstanding quality. And I think you can only ask Jason them questions of why he didn't make that. Yeah, it's interesting. I remember Stephen Gerrard wrote in his autobiography. He said he was one of the best players he's ever played alongside when he was at Liverpool. So that probably probably says it all. Um, yeah. But you went up that season, and then the following season, you know, you signed players Jonathan Green and Canu came in, Zoltan yeah. Gera, Robert Earnshaw. When you sort of you look at that squad at the start of that Premier League season, Paul, are you thinking, you know, we we got a very very good chance of uh, survival here and, and and staying up? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Obviously, the the quality signings in Carnu, Zoltan Gira was obviously an unknown quantity when we first signed him. 
no one really knew what he was, um, what his footballing style was like. And he, when he walked through the door, everyone thought he was Mr. Veen had just turned up. So it was, <laughs> it was quite comical. But then, like you say, what a legend Zoltan is, and yeah, a great friend of mine who um, I speak to every now and then still and keep in touch with. It's yeah, I mean, what a talent. And Robert Earnshaw had goal scoring pedigree. Um, so we signed players that that could change our style of football. I mean, when you look at the team before that, it was a it was just a hard working team. Didn't really have much quality, but would get the job done because we knew we could defend and do the right things at the right time. But obviously, we were bringing that little bit extra quality now and sparked us. Where when you're signing players like Carnu, then you're obviously trying to make a statement as a football club. Yeah, and you know you went into that season, a few decent results early on. I think I remember one Zoltan uh, Gear scoring against Bolton. You won against Bolton, but sort of the wheels slowly started to, to come off a little bit, you know, and obviously that ended up with Gary Megson sacking. You know, what was what what sort of went wrong at the start of that season, Paul, or, or that section of the season, Paul? What what can you remember? I think there's been a lot been made about obviously the training methods. Obviously Gary Gary was he was driven in working hard. Um and again, when you go back to the signings of like your car news and that, they're not really players who are gonna run for a brick wall for you. They're they're the type of players who you just want them on the ball in the final third because they're no good in the defensive part because they, they can't defend. Um, so I think that, play, that played a big factor in that type of mentality that we become a little bit soft. Um, we didn't want to do the things that we knew we could do. Um, but for me, it was disappointing because I really liked Gary and I had a great working relationship with him. And it was just a, it was a shame to see him go. But like you say, it's football. Um, if managers are not getting the the best out of the players, then they're the ones that have to take the flack. And it wasn't at the time; it was the players. We needed to roll our sleeves up and do better. So we were the ones who should have taken the responsibility, not the manager. Yeah, and I think it culminated in a, I think it was a three 0 defeat at Crystal Palace. Am I right in thinking there was some sort of sort of bust up on the coach after the game, or a little bit of a sort of few words said? And I think yeah, that... be, yeah, because players we're we're passionate and. We've always had that since I've been at West Brom and since I've been at all the clubs I had, apart from obviously the later stages, is is now you're not allowed to say things to people because they 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 get offended by it. Whereas no, hold on a minute, you got to deal with it. If you're if you're told to do your job, you're told to do your job. Simple as that. Take it on the chin and get on with it. So yeah, we used to have bus stops all the time, training training ground on the coach. If we felt that someone weren't doing their job properly, we sort it out as men, and then that would be it. Once it's sorted, we shake hands and we're like, right, we've got that off our chest. Now let's go again. So yeah. yeah, there was a few dust ups. Any, any sort of there, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Does that still happen now? Because I think one of the one of the big accusations towards Albion this season is is they've lacked that strength of character, if you like. They've lacked leaders. Um does it happen now or was it a lot more common back in your day? No, it's a lot more common back in our day. A lot more of it now is people are too afraid to say anything to someone because they might hurt their feelings a little bit. Um so yeah, I, I don't really see much of it going on. You don't really hear much of it going on. Um, it might still happen in the lower leagues because of, like you say, it's more of a rough tumble and, and fight your way out of them divisions. So, um, but yeah, in ours, it's if you say something, then pretty much handbags, really. Not what like it used to be. <laughs> Is there any uh, any sort of memorable ones you can remember on the training ground at Albion? Oh, it used to be scraps of fun on the training ground. Like you say, if you were going in for a good old 50-50 tackle and it turned into a brawl, it'd be brilliant. <laughs> but but again, it's like the competition in games. You wanted to win. You wanted to win training sessions as well as matches. So so yeah, but there was nothing malicious in it. It was just a a good old a good old get it out of your system and come on then. This this is what it's all about to play for this football club. So let's get on with it. Yeah, and and obviously Gary Megson did go. Brian Robson came in. What was the feeling in the dressing room? Obviously he was a 
so a West Brom legend, Man United legend, England legend. Um, you know, done an okay, a decent job at Middlesbrough um, yeah. for a time. You know, what was the the feeling when he he sort of came in? Well, when he came in, he was a leader, wasn't he, um, Brian? And uh, we we you you just felt the sense of the aura around him when he walked through the room. That presence, Nigel Pearson as well. I thought was was excellent when he came in. He again, he was a leader of men. Um, so yeah he got the best out of us and he got what we needed to do. We, we worked our socks off as a group. He made us run. No different to Gary. He got us running. He got us fighting. He got us scrapping for every point. Um, yeah, he was, like you say, he was probably that little bit of a spark that we needed to make people realise what it was all about to play for West Bromwich Albion Football Club. Yeah, and, you know, there were some some sort of tough results early on. I think Liverpool 5-0 at Christmas, you know, you're bottom at Christmas. Um I listened to to Kevin Campbell a while ago speaking on the podcast, and he said, you know, he came in, obviously came in in the January with Kieran Richardson, and I think Richard Chaplow came in that January as well. Yeah, Chaplow um, came in, and and Kev Campbell was saying he looked around the dressing room and just sort of was startled to think that West Brom was sort of bottom of the table. Yeah, um, was that the, was that the case when you sort of all looked around, just you know, because there was quality in that side, wasn't there? Oh, it was quality, but but <laughs> the hardest thing in football is when you're low in confidence, you're low. And you, you're, you're trying to find every possible solution of how can you get out of it. And I think Kev came in being that spark. Kev was, as I say, he's another leader um, at Everton. He was the captain at every club he'd been at, Arsenal. So everyone respected Kev. And he came in and he changed a few things. He wasn't happy with a, with a few things at the training ground. Like, again, the different section of people sitting on different tables. He brought all the tables together. So we were one. So we all sat and had lunch. We had breakfast together as one. Um, so that made a big difference. Obviously, his leadership talks, whether it be at the start of the game, whether it be at half time and at the end of the game, that's what we needed. We needed realism. We needed a, we needed a reaction. And again, I think once we got that first win and, and we got a little bit more confident, you then saw the team spirit coming out of us and you saw the togetherness, which which made us grow. Yeah. And on the podcast, Kevin Campbell also talks about you. By the way, Brian Robson took you to America at one point. Yes. It was after a a draw with Crystal Palace. Um, yeah. I believe not a lot of drinking was done on that tour. It was more of a, a team bonding exercise more than anything. Yeah, not a lot, really a lot of drinking. I mean... Um... Sorry, not a lot of training. A lot of drinking. <laughs> that, that's, what, that's what yeah. I meant, not a lot yeah. of training. Yeah, it was really hot, to be fair. So um, we had to sort of keep ourselves hydrated and <laughs> that was at the bar. Um, but no, I think sometimes when you need to get away from all the negativity in the country totally the opposite side of the world where you know that no one's going to be taking pictures of you no one's going to be pestering you no one's going to be um getting on your case for saying like you're rubbish and you're not doing your jobs properly we just needed to switch off as a, as a group we went and played golf together we went on little trips together um we needed that team spirit we needed we needed to understand each other and i think the great thing about it was is that we sat down individually each and got to know each other as a person and i think that was that was the best bit about it is that we got to know every single person about their families, what their lifestyles were like, how they coped outside of football. We got to know everybody as an individual. And uh, when we come back, that was it. We, there was no, there was no, <laughs> there was no more like sort of getting away from it. This is what we need to do. There's no hiding place. We need to roll our sleeves up and we need to get our head back on this and, and we're going to stay up. And, and that was the mentality we had. Yeah. Would you say, you know, Almost seems like a masterstroke now, you know, just comparing it a few years after when Alan Pardew was manager of West Brom. We tried to do that when they were trying to sort of survive in the Premier League. Obviously, it didn't work. It took him to, to Barcelona and we all know how, how all that ended up. But with, into, from your point of view, what, what Robson did there, was that sort of as important as maybe some of his tactical tweaks in games, really, just because of the, the reaction that the sort of going away, the trip 
sort of got from the squad. Yeah, and I think obviously like he's been at Man United, so Man United would have done them trips a long time yeah. ago. They've they've won so many trophies over the years, and they had that togetherness. So Brian knew he knew what it took. I think he looked at the group of players that he had, and he knew that there was winners. There was all winners in that dressing room. There was no one in there that was going to disturb it. There was no bad apple. Um, if there was, he would have gone. Sorry, but you're not for us, so you can go. Uh, we we was all one. We all stuck together, and he knew that we needed that. He knew that we all needed it as staff as well. The staff were they were out with the players, golfing together, things like that. It was all one. No one was sectioned. Um, so that's what he brought to the group of people. He also did. I mean, again, it's like people to talk about. Oh, I don't know if it's the right thing to do. But what Brian did was he did the. So I don't know if you've watched the Any Given Sunday film. Um, with Al Pacino when he did the speech so Brian would put that speech on in the background with us as football clips so we'd have clips of us as videos before the game and we'd have the Al Pacino speech over the top of it so again he wouldn't say anything he would literally before we went out five minutes before we went out he would play it in the dressing room as loud as he could so when the opposition were in the tunnel they could hear it as they walked past our door and be like oh my god what is happening in there so then when we come out, we literally was like 10 foot. We felt 10 foot tall and we knew we, we'd won games by looking at the opposition in the tunnel because they didn't know what was what was coming at them. And and it, for us, it was like, right, we're coming for you and you ain't getting away from it. Yeah. And you come back from America, you know, and you went on a, a great run. I think you beat Birmingham, beat Everton. That draw at Villa with that superb diving header at the, the back post. I'm sure that's one of your most memorable Albion moments, Paul. Oh yeah, one of one of my well, yeah one of my biggest moments uh, for me. Um, obviously, you, we didn't know how um, important it was at the time um, until we got on the coach. I mean, we were like celebrating as if we'd won the game, and we hadn't. We'd just drawn. We knew we were still in the bottom three, but then got on the coach, and we realised we'd come out of the bottom three. So, I mean, yeah, you you never know how important goals are until you see it, and we we all just start we erupted on the coach. We started celebrating. We were like we're out the bottom three, and but then we realised the job's not done yet. We still got to get our heads down. We still got what was it? I think we had three games to go still, um, or two maybe, because we knew we had a tough one and Man United away. Um, so again, that was a massive game for us where we knew we had to go there and get something. Um, so yeah, they were they were just big bonuses for us to get them points that we needed at that time. Yeah, and I was looking at your record yesterday in terms of goals, and it said three, and I can remember two of them. I can remember that one. Maybe scored a really deft chip against Coventry, I think. Yeah, went at Coventry. Trying to remember the other one. I scored a few at Coventry. I scored a header at Coventry as well. Yeah, maybe that was the. Yeah, I was trying to pinpoint that one, the other one. But yeah, remember the the Coventry, the four 0 I think he got elbowed in the face in that game as well, if I remember rightly. No, that was um, that was Carl Hopkins. Oh, was it Hopkins? Was it? Yeah, that yeah. was Carl Michael Hopkins, that Miff, got um, got sent yeah. off. That was a that was a good win. But yeah, just going back to the. Uh, the great escape scene, you know, you said Old Trafford, you know, they got we got that point at Old Trafford and you're going into the final day. I think we're bottom going into the final day. But are you looking around thinking, you know, this is, you know, we've got that point at Old Trafford. It's, it's sort of written that, that we can do this now. Yeah, definitely. We was we was in a good mood. I think the week leading up to the Portsmouth game, there was great spirits around the training ground. Um, still, obviously, there was always going to be negativity, but you're bottom, you're going down. But for us, it was like, we just got to do our job, lads. So... Yeah, preparation during the week was very good. Players were were um, all bubbly and, and looking forward to the game. Going into the game, obviously, you never know what's going to happen. But um, we got our result that we needed and then we were just relying on all the other results to come in. And that was obviously, I think, like you say, 
when you're on eggshells waiting and listening to the fans, like what's their reaction like? Because at one point during the game, there was a massive roar. Then there was pure quietness and you couldn't hear a pin drop in the stadium. What was it like as a player then? Because I was in the stand that day and I remember, I think Charlton or Crystal Palace scored at Charlton. Yeah. It just went silent. Are you as players thinking, we can't really do anything here? Well, I think obviously you're trying to focus on the game. Obviously we were winning 2-0, so we knew we'd done our job. Um, but to hear, like, obviously the, the fans go quiet, you, you you didn't know what had happened, but you could tell, right, something's happened in the other games and we're not too sure what's happened here. But we just got we just got on with our job. And, yeah, and I think the anticipation waiting at the final whistle because yeah. the game had got into added time, um, I just think, like you say, as soon as we knew, you, you the eruption, the the celebration, the emotions, the jillation of everything, oh, it just, yeah, it just all rolled into one, really. It was just... An amazing feeling. Yeah, big celebrations that night, I imagine. Oh, yeah, I think we celebrated for a week after that, I think. <laughs> Fantastic. And then the next season, obviously, you stayed up. Brian Robson has a chance to put his own stamp on the squad and sign some quality players in that summer. Um, yeah. But what, you know, you, you, so I'm just trying to think players signed. Diamante Kamara, Nathan Ellington came in, I think. You know, if you, Yunichi uh, Nomoto, I think he came in as well. But, you know, obviously, it's just, ended up in, in relegation. How disappointing was that that season? Because he almost had a stronger squad than he did sort of the, the season before, really. Yeah, it was disappointing. And um, I think the second season's always probably the toughest one. If you survive the first season, um, everyone looks at it, oh, you've done well first season. But the second season's always tougher because we'd had such a mentally draining first Premier League experience of just surviving on the last day to right, OK, we need to kick on now. We need to we need to do better and we need to move forward. And it just didn't work for some reason. Um, things didn't click for us. Obviously, we were low in confidence again. Um, yeah, and it was a tough one to take after after what had just happened the, the season before. So, yeah, getting relegated was was a tough one to, to sort of deal with. Yeah, I'll pass on to Joe now for the, uh, the second part, the, uh, the second era. How are you, Johnny? Just start by talking about Tony Mowbray, if that's all right. Please don't shatter any illusions for me, because I'm a big fan of his. But just yeah. what was he like as a manager, and what was it? How much did you enjoy playing under him? Oh, I loved it. Tony was a great guy, um, a, a proper football man. Um, understood the game, understood tactics, understood his players. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed my time. And again, the football that we played at that time doesn't like doesn't get spoken about enough. I mean, we scored unbelievable goals. We scored probably goals from out of anywhere um, and the football we played was was just exciting so I think the fans would probably accept that that was probably the most exciting team to watch over for a long time over the over the years of West Brom. Because you had a fair few wins over Wolves that season didn't you there's that brilliant picture of you in front of the South Bank what what I mean I guess you just felt did you just feel so connected with the fan base at that point how much were you enjoying it at that time? Yeah I loved my time at West Brom I think West Brom was my most enjoyable time throughout for the, for the six years that I was there, nearly seven years. I, I've always said it, but it was a proper family club. My family felt uh, very safe and comfortable. Um, they loved the atmosphere. We had a great connection with the, with the players and the other wives as well. So it was just, a, it was just one big happy family. So yeah, we, um, my time there was for me the best periods of my life and my career. Just looking at that that playoff final in 2007, just talk us to about that. Talk to us about that game. How much of a regret was it that you didn't get over the line then? 
again, I don't think we could have done anything else apart from just put the ball in the net. Uh, mm. We had the most shots of any team that had on target in the playoff final. Um, we, we just couldn't score. It was it was one of those games. Whatever we tried to do, Derby defended it or the keeper saved it, it, it or we just narrowly missed. It was just nothing, nothing went for us on the day. And you get that in football. You get that where... If it's not your day, it's not your day. You have to dust yourselves off and you have to go again. Um, yes, it was a it was a long, hard season and the playoffs are draining. We're, we're watching them now and we're looking at the, the results that are going on in these games. And they are there. After 46 games of playing the, the season and going to another three where you've got a little bit of a rest as well in between, it becomes mentally, you have to be mentally focused for all that time to go. Um, but yeah. We felt we did everything right to win it, and unfortunately we didn't. We just narrowly missed out on a one-nil defeat. What, what was it like being a defender in that team, though? Because you were very open, weren't you? You were very expansive. Did you enjoy that? Did you want to shore up a little bit more? How, what was it like for you? No, I loved it because I defended. We had proper defenders in the team. We, we were always given the role of you have to deal 1v1 or 2v2 situations. We worked on it in training. Training was always counter-attacking football, so we knew that we had to, to be ready. We had to be switched on as defenders. Um, so yeah, we, I was always prepared to to be in that position. Obviously, you, you, you there was times where you knew you needed your, your attacking players to help you out, but the majority of the time was I'm a defender. I get paid to defend, so I've got to do my job. In the following year, of course, you had some wonderful attackers: Kevin Phillips, Miller, Bedner. You had a yeah. real good bond with Phillips, didn't you? But I mean, that must have been a joy to play with those players. You must have felt like you were going to score every time you went forward. Yeah, I mean, that that team then was just. It was so exciting to be around. Again, the team spirit was fantastic. That year, the togetherness we had, not just on the pitch, but off it as a group. Um, I think when you look at it, there's just so Robert Corran, Zoltan, Ishmael Miller, Roman Bentner, um, Kev Phillips, you name it, Chris Brunt, James Morrison. I mean, it's just it's just an exciting team to look at on paper. And uh, if only we could roll back the years and bring that group together, it would be uh, be uh, be an amazing amazing feat to have them sort of players again playing for West Brom. Can I just interject, Joe, and just ask a question? There, we you mentioned about the playoff final. Another game that you know, I'm sure I don't know if you've got regrets, but the FA Cup semi final at, at Wembley against Portsmouth. Yes, you know that was a game where you did really dominate Portsmouth at times, like a good Portsmouth side. You know what? What's your memories of that? Obviously, the goal. I think. Canu scored, the, you know, there's a hint of handball for Milan Barros. I'm sure the yeah. players must have been lower than a snake's belly after that because you were sort of inches away from a cup final. Yeah, of course. And, and again, the possibility of playing in Europe. I mean, what an yeah. achievement that would have been. But maybe Wembley wasn't our ground to play at. Maybe we should have played it somewhere neutral. Because <laughs> um, every time we did go there, we seemed to lose. Um, but no, again, it's we put everything into it. Portsmouth had world-class players. Harry Redknapp, had, uh, he built a team that was that was like again Premier League quality and going to an FA Cup final where again we narrowly missed out on what I felt again was a handball but if VAR was then working back then it might have been overturned and we might have sneaked through on penalties who never knows but um, but no again it was a, it was a fantastic achievement for us to get that far Sorry Joe That's alright man no problem and the following season you went up at Tough season in terms of results, but you won a lot of plaudits that season, didn't you, in, in terms of how you performed? How, how do you look back on that campaign? Uh, what, the, the when we came down again? Or yeah. when we got promoted? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Promoted, sorry. Yeah, when yeah, you were promoted, promoted. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, I think we deserved all the plaudits we got because of the team that we created and, and the philosophy that Tony wanted us to, to, um, to play as. So, 
so yeah, I, I felt we fully deserved to go up as um, as champions. Um, and then obviously, again, it was a, it was an opportunity for the club to sort of get that stability and and try and stay in the Premier League as long as we could. Just talk to you about um, your Albion departure, if that's all right. How, how did how did that come about? Um, it came about where obviously Gary had been in contact again from Bolton. He was the Bolton manager now. Um, he'd contacted my agent. He'd contacted the club. Obviously, he knew that um, the club had accepted a couple of offers the season before with Sunderland and Wigan, um, but unfortunately, they didn't go through because of um, I failed medicals with no having no ACL in my right knee. Um, so yeah, obviously Gary knew me well. He brought me to West Brom when I was at Watford, so he knew what type of player I was. He felt that he needed the change at Bolton um, and needed the character, um, and it come about where West Brom had agreed a fee with with the club. So so yeah, for me it was then right. Okay, I've been at the club now for six, nearly seven years. I could see the club that was going on a little bit of a slippery slope in the background. Um, so, and I wanted to carry on playing Premier League football. I wasn't getting any younger. I was 30 at the time. Um, so for me, it was to, f- to finish playing at the highest level for as long as I could. And and the opportunity where the clubs had agreed the fee, it was now about me going there and agreeing personal terms and, and having my medical and then and then going and signing for Bolton Wanderers Football Club. Was he was he the same Gary Megson who you'd had at Albion or was he different? Um, he was similar. He wasn't, he wasn't the same as what he was at West Brom. Um, obviously... The the the, the 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 toll had taken it on him with of what had happened at West Brom, where he'd been sacked as a manager in the Premier League. He was now a manager at Premier League football in Bolton, um, and he needed to build a squad that was going to stay in that division. And um, he'd obviously calmed his his ways a little bit, but he was still the manager who always demanded of him. So so yeah, there was there was different similarities in him. Did you always? Just talking about your coaching career now, did you always envisage going into coaching? Was it always in the back of your mind as a player? Did you always have one eye on that going forward or did it just go on? Talk to us about that. How did it come about? Yeah, no, I always had, uh, my mind was always to stay in football. Um, I loved the game. Um, I loved helping people as a player. I was always, I always felt like I was a coach because of the amount of talking I did on the football pitch mm. and on the training ground. So I felt I had the, the capability of going into coaching, but you never know until you try it what it's what it's all about and obviously the hours are always different um the longer hours and the missing the family time so yeah i i always i always prolonged my career to to how i wanted it to go but then also i did my badges before i retired and and sort of took coaching coaching sessions also before i decided to hang my boots up so that transition for me worked really well into going into it of course, it's about getting an opportunity, isn't it, as well as a coach, and you, and you got one at Blues. What what was your time there like as a coach? Is that when you, you really got your love for it? Or Yeah, of course it was, yeah. I mean, I lo- again, I loved my time at Blues as a player. Um, obviously, I retired there, so I spent eight years at Birmingham coaching the under-23s to start with as assistant, and then I went into league coaching at under-18s for, for the year. But unfortunately, that, that ended on um, bad terms and, and didn't go the way that I wanted it to go. But again, it's football, and... Yeah, the people that you work with in the game, um, obviously a lot of people don't quite understand how, how it goes. But yeah, I think when, you, when you're when you in football now and you understand the people you work with, you know that there are certain people that are in the game and they're, they're not in it for the right reason. So for me, it's uh, I needed to move on. I needed a different challenge. And, and now my time at Millwall, first team coaching under Gary, who was my manager at Birmingham, has been, been a, great, a great change for me. Yes, it's been hard because I'm away from my family a lot um, and I don't see him as much as I'd like to, but... 
Um, this is this is the job that we want to do and that I want to do. So uh, so yeah, we just uh, we carry on with how it goes. And now uh, we obviously the season's over and I can enjoy that that quality family time. Well, obviously Gary Rowett knows you are in football for the right reasons because, like you said, he was your manager, wasn't he? And how did yeah. that conversation come about when when he when he gave you that call to ask you to come into Millwall? Yeah, well, obviously, I, I, Millwall wasn't guaranteed. I'd obviously left Birmingham, so it was um, it was COVID at the time, so there wasn't really many job offers, opportunities going about. So hmm. I got that opportunity to spend quality time with my family, reassess um, what what did I want to do, where did I want to be. Obviously, Gary had knew that I'd I'd left Birmingham, and we'd always been in contact when when he was the manager anyway. So we'd always been in touch, um, not all the time, but every now and then we'd catch up with each other just to see how we were. Um, and then Gary's again never really said that there was a job opportunity available but said that there might be a possibility that he would like to bring another coach in and I would be one of them candidates that he would look at so yeah I had to go through the interview process like everyone has to um sitting down on zooms obviously a little bit different to meeting people face to face because you don't quite get the feel for each other when you're talking um but I did the presentation of what he wanted me to do and, and how he wanted me to do it. And uh, yeah, then you're just waiting. You're waiting to hear the news. Did I get the job or did I not get the job? How do your roles differ? Do you, do you separate things out? What, talk to us about the Gary Rowett, Paul Robinson managerial team. Well, Gary's um, obviously he was my manager, so I was captain. So it was quite different. Obviously, he didn't see what I was like behind the scenes um, when I was captain. Obviously, I had certain standards. I had a way of a way of talking to the players and letting them know the the expectations, their roles and responsibilities of what it's like to play for a club like Birmingham's um, Birmingham City Football Club. But yeah, the manager has a different responsibility. He's the manager. He has different roles that he has to organise and he has to do. He's So they're always different. But obviously, when you go to that coaching side of it, I think Gary obviously probably didn't expect my standards and what I'm about. Um, but again, it's I'm very driven. I'm, I'm, I'm very demanding and I do, I have standards and players cross the line, I'm going to let them know, I'm going to tell them. Um, and that's that's the way I am as a person. Gary, obviously, is a little bit more reserved. He's the manager of the football club. So he oversees certain things which are different. So, so yeah, you find a, you find a balance. And no, it's, again, it's worked really well with this year where we've, we've just missed out on a playoff spot, but we can hold our head up high. We, we haven't got the biggest budget to spend out of all the teams, but we've competed. We, we've played against 10 teams and we've, We've given them a good game and we've beaten some of them. So, yeah, we can hold our heads extremely, uh, we can hold our heads up high this year. Well, that was going to be my next question, actually. How do you reflect on your campaign? Because, like, I mean, you've just missed out, haven't you? It's just, only just. Um, but like you said, you haven't got the budget that well, West Brom, for example, have got, or a lot of clubs in the division have got. You have had a really good go at it, haven't you? Yeah, we've had a great go. We've um, we've got into every game, given our all, and that's all you can do as a player. You know that when you go onto this football pitch, you you've got to run. You've got to compete against your opposition. No matter what the quality is, if you can outwork them, if you can outrun them, you've got a great chance of winning the game. And we've done that. We did it against teams where they couldn't live with us, with our energy, our commitment. Um, whether that be a nice, firm, hard tackle every now and then, you've got to go and do it. You've got to go and put your marker on on certain players to let them know that they're going to be in the game all day. Yeah, so we can hold our heads up. Um, the players can go away now extremely proud of themselves. The young lads I've had the opportunity to work with individually has been brilliant. I'm, I'm proud of them with how they've taken all the information on board and they've gone into games and they've performed to the to the highest level. And they they now have got to believe that they're going to go on and have great careers. And, and that's all we can do as coaches, that we can give them the best platform to go on and pro- perform. And then it's down to them to go and do that and then go and um, 
go on and have great careers at the end of it. So, so yeah, we can be extremely proud of the jobs we've done this year. I'll just ask you about Albion uh, this season, if that's all right. Um, we've got a mutual friend, actually. So I know that I don't think you were too shocked when um, Valerian Ishmael lost his job after that Millwall game. Mm. Um, I just wonder what you made of his tenure in Albion before that point, if you like I think, obviously, Ishmael, it's, it's horrible when you see a manager get the sack. But I think what, what the club's got to understand is, is that they've gone for a manager that had that style of football. You're bringing, in, you're bringing him to a football club that haven't got that style of football. Mm-hmm. So that's the polar opposite straight away. A manager that's going to implement his long ball, you know, the, way that he, the, the way that he wants to play the game, that intensity. You've got players at West Brom that don't do that. West Brom are a technical footballing. They've always designed that team. They've always had their players where they want the players on the ball. They want to get them to, to get the ball down and play comfortable, exciting. Um, but again, it's all changed after after we beat them 2-0. Uh, again, disappointing to see some of the players' reactions to the way they're playing because it was it was like they'd given up. And that's not mm-hmm. nice seeing that in football because you get paid good money to play for the football team and you've got to wear the shirt with pride. So you got to get on with your job and you've got to do it to the best of your ability. And... Um, Maybe the players knew that Ishmael wasn't going to be their manager and they'd accepted that. So, yeah, difficult times to see it. It's interesting you say that. I'm not, I'm not saying this to be extreme. I'm saying it to be 100% what I say is the truth. I've never been more convinced going to a West Brom game they were going to lose. I was 90% sure we would lose at Millwall that day. The, the only 10% part of me that wasn't was you just never know what's going to happen in football, do you? You just never know some days. But I was, I was so convinced. But because of that... What have you what you said there basically you could feel some of the players giving up, but you could you could feel that, could you, on the sidelines? They weren't they weren't putting in what your players were putting in, were they? Is that is that a fair comment, do you think? Well, no, we we pride ourselves. We pride ourselves and we're at home, it's our ground, you're not coming to us to beat us. Um so we knew that we had to go into that game and we had to be fully prepared on 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 the team that West Brom had out. West Brom again, on their day can be very dangerous and very exciting um, with the quality that they've got. So we knew we couldn't afford to give them that space. We couldn't afford to give them that time. But we did feel that we'd, we'd run them into the ground where they literally, they could not they could not deal with us. And yeah, it was like they'd just, they'd given up because they knew that the result wasn't going for them and, 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 and we'd, we'd done the job that we needed to do. Obviously 10th this season in the Championship, not, not good enough for Albion. Um, where, where do you see them going next season? Do you think there is a basis there for Steve Bruce to build? He said he, he needs sort of an overhaul maybe five or six players. Is that is that something you agree with? Well, I think, like you say, Steve's Bruce, the manager, I don't know what he's thinking, but he's a man with great pedigree and, and won promotions in uh, uh, most clubs that he's been at. So the board have got to back him. They've got to give him what he wants. They've, he's got to be able to bring in his players, his style of football, the way that he wants to play. And, and that's why you bring these managers in. You've got to give them time. Um, only time will tell, really. I think when we see what happens in the summer... Um, the players that go, the players that come in. Obviously, I've seen Alex Palmer sign the new four-year deal. I, I really like him as a goalkeeper. I think he's got great potential. He's done he done fantastic at Lincoln. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Give them players the opportunity to prove themselves. It's the same at Millwall. Um, we'll lose players, but we'll bring players in to try and compete again and try and go for another promotion push. And that's what we that's what we can do. And that's what we'll try to do throughout the, uh, throughout the summer. Just potentially talking about you losing a player. I know as, as, as things stand, Jen Wallace has not made a decision on his future. He could stay with you. He could go elsewhere. Uh, but he has, he has been linked with Albion. He's probably the hottest free agent on the market, if we're being honest. Yeah. What, what, what do you make of that link? Can you understand why Albion would want him and, and what would he bring to the team? 
I can see why Jed's liked by a lot of teams. He's he's a top player. Um, he's a runner. He's he's got great ability, assisting goals, scoring goals. So for us, he'd be a massive loss. I, I really hope he does stay. He's a great character to have around the training ground. Um, but he's a great signing for another club, wherever he chooses. I think only Jed will know or what he wants to do as that player, his decision for his family, what's right for him now at his age and, and the move that he wants to make. Um, if he does go to West Brom, I'll be devastated, but I'll be delighted because I know that he's signing for a great club and um, I'd, I'll be phoning him to tell him what a great club it is. But if nothing's done yet, I'm still hoping he's a middle player by the summer and by the time we come back to pre-season, he's with us. Um, but if not, then I'll be giving him a call to wish him all the best and 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 keep in touch with him. Yeah, definitely. But no, he's he's a fantastic player and he's he's been over the years for Millwall. He's been fantastic and um, whatever will be will be Jed's decision. So I unfortunately can't change that. Well, just what are his strengths though? Is I mean he he, he gets goals and assists every year, doesn't he? Yeah, he's a runner. Jed's a runner. He's he's energy. He's quality. Um, people don't understand when they watch him. He's set piece delivery. He's always on point. Um, he he is uh, he he does all the dirty work for his teammates and and that's what type of players are missing nowadays. You don't see this a lot. You don't see the type of player. He loses the ball. He runs back forty yards to help his defence out. Jed is that type of guy who will give his all for his team. So so yeah, he's uh he's an exciting player. But again, I'm gonna highlight it. I hope he's a more player by the start of the season. Brilliant. Thank you, mate. That's all right, Joe. We've got Fantastic. some quick fire questions. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I've just got one on your playing career, Paul. That I forgot to put in higher up. Um, yeah. As we know, you're a tough tackling defender. You had a lot of yellow cards, a few red oh, yeah. cards in your career. You know, in this day and age now, you can't breathe on anyone without getting booked. You know, <laughs> how would a Paul Robertson get on in the modern era if he was a player today? Oh, VAR would kill me, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, I, I, you'd have to change your game. Um, obviously I'll still be fully committed and, and feel and fully wanting to, to win every tackle and wanting to, uh, to to win every game but again it's now with the amount of cameras that are, are going on obviously the referees have, have the ears and eyes everywhere now it's it's very hard so yeah you'd have to change your game where you're you're playing a little bit smarter Yeah what's it like on the side as a coach are you sort of when you see a foul given for, for next to nothing do you sort of get a, bit, a little bit angry looking at it from the player that you're with. Yeah, you get a little bit angry, but I think over the years now, I've I've tried to sort of calm myself down. You you can't, obviously, you you see managers, they get really irate and they get like over the top with certain things, but what they've got to realise is decisions are being made. It's, you can't change that decision. It's, it's the way football's going. It's, you need to get your head back in the game and your team, you need to focus on your team, right? Okay, that decision's gone against us now, but we need to be focused on what we're doing. And make sure we switched on. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Well, I'm sure West Brom fans can remember many a many a tackle back at the Hawthorns. But we'll uh, mm. we've sort of gone over your over your career. We're going to just yeah fire, put some quick fire questions to you before we we finish off, Paul. So uh, it'll just be sort of I'll do one, Joe will do one. So just to start off with, who was the the best player you played with in your time at time at Albion? Well, there was there was loads of players. I mean, flip me, I could go through a list of them. Jason Kumas was one of them. Um, obviously, Jonathan Greening, Kev Phillips, Zoltan Gira. I think you, if you put all them players in that bracket of the Albion teams that you played in, uh, yeah, there's so many standout players in that team. It's over the years. It's just incredible to play with them players. Yeah, privilege, privilege to play with them over the years. What about best manager? Who do you enjoy playing under the most? Um, again, I really love my time with, with Gary. Um, 
Brian was was excellent for me. He took my game to the next level, and I felt that's when I played um, my my best football in the Premier League. But then Tony came in, and again, my 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 football went up to the another level with him. So yeah, I would say them three really have been the the top managers I worked with, apart from obviously Grant Taylor at, um, at Watford as well, who was who was brilliant, excellent for me as a kid. Did you mention Mike Robson there? Just I was doing a bit of research yesterday, and I don't know if this is true, but Brian Robson once sort of tipped you as a, a potential future England left back. Is that something that you ever heard, Paul, or is that completely false? Or is my research off the mark? No, no. Um, you know, Brian pulled me, and he said that obviously Sven. I think Sven was the manager at the time, and he said he's watching you closely. And obviously Brian said that he actually had put a good word in for me, um, for me to be given the opportunity, and he put it in the papers as well. So I did. I did read it. Um, but no, Brian was always, he was always that type of manager, a type of bloke. Um, he, he'd always talk to you, always make you feel comfortable. And I, I loved it. I loved my time with Brian. He was a great guy and legend um, and very respectful towards me. Even my time when he, obviously, I don't know if people realise, but when he first came in, I, I didn't play. I wasn't involved in the team. I, was, I wasn't even in the squads. I was sitting in the stand. But he always had that mutual respect for me by... I always trained how I played and, and he saw that. And, and then that's when he gave me my opportunity because he saw my attitude. So, yeah, I, he was really, he was big on me trying to get in the England squad, but maybe playing for West Brom wasn't the uh, the type of player that Sven wanted in his squad. Yeah, was that as far as it got? So just uh, he was watching you or was there any contact about potentially a call-up or is that as far no, as No, there was no, there was no contact. It was just talking and, and obviously just Brian promoting me as much as he could. But yeah, it just went on deaf ears really. Yeah, what was it like when you heard that? It must be a big lift that you know the England managers keeping a keeping an eye on you. Oh yeah, massive lift. Obviously, when you're playing, obviously you could you, you know as a player you know when you're playing well because you're confident, you're comfortable. Yes, you know you're still going to make the odd mistake every now and then. But I felt my I felt my game was as best as it was um, under Brian. Um, I knew Ashley Cole was out with a broken foot. Wayne Bridge was out as well, so I knew that I had a, an outside chance of. of possibly getting an England call-up but yeah it just it wasn't meant to be so um, it's just one of those things unfortunately yeah yeah. Uh, next question who's the most underrated player you played with at West Brom um, oh jeez um, I think definitely Robert Corran was a player that didn't really get the recognition that he deserved obviously because at the time we had a midfielder like Jonathan Green in and Zoltan Gira was scoring goals Kev Phillips was scoring goals Ishmael Miller, Roman Bentner, um, but Robert Corran was he was he was an outstanding athlete. I mean, his work rate for the team was incredible. Again, he chipped in with the with the odd great goal. Uh, even Philip Texera, again, what yeah, a player, player, what a yeah. player he was when he first came in. And um, yeah, I think them two players were so underrated, and and the quality that they brought to our to our team was yeah was 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 going unnoticed. Well, wasn't going unnoticed by us as players. We loved it, but. Yeah, it's. Um, I think the fans obviously saw different. Who was your best mate at the club? Uh, Super Kev. So Super yeah. Kev Phillips and uh, Jonathan Greening were my closest mates. Yeah, they were uh, cracking guys at the time. Yeah, real good, real, real good team spirit. Uh, what was your sort of just looking back a funny sort of funniest tale story from when you're at Albion? Oh, blimey, where do I start with these ones? Jono. Jono's up there. Randy Johnson's up there. Jeff Horsfield's up there. I mean, yeah, I think I think Jono asking if there's two sons, I think that's the yeah, funniest right. comment I've ever heard. <laughs> I think, so what was that? You were, in, were you aware? You were on pre-season, weren't you? We was in Portugal, weren't we? We was out in Portugal on a pre-season tour and um, 
we was on a lovely complex where we had like a nice facilities, but I think it was the Browns facilities in Portugal where we had like our own snooker table and everything like that. And we, we liked to game a game of snooker at night just to chill out and switch off. And yeah, I remember just sitting there one afternoon, we were sort of like relaxing because we had like villas. So there was me, Jono, uh, the two Jonos and Jeff in a villa. And, uh, we're just sitting there on the sun lounges, relaxing before the next session. And uh, Jono's going, oh, it's really hot here. It's like, this sun's like, God, why is it so hot here? What's the sun like in England? And we, oh, the rest of us just went all quiet. So, and then you hear Jeff go, you stupid idiot. What are you talking about? Like that. And it was, it was like, did you really just say that, Jono? Like you just said, is the sun different in England? It's like, it's the same sun. Um, yeah, there was a few choice words in there as well giving him some uh, stick but but yeah typical John he loved it he loved their um he loved the word to throw out there every now and then or a, a stupid comment that would get everyone tickled but he denies guy. that now doesn't he he denies yeah. that he, says he that, denies everything he? he denies everything <laughs> Jono but what a great guy I loved him great there's guy one, there's one Jeff Horsfield told about putting a mirror up as well I don't know if you've ever heard oh, that one yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've heard that on the podcast but uh, yeah, if you try and try and uh, drill through a mirror and uh, <laughs> yeah, what, what do you expect it's going to shatter Jono what he tried to drill through a mirror yeah, he yeah. thought he, he, he thought he could drill through the mirror instead of like putting it on a hook <laughs> but hey Jono well he, he'll learn he'll learn the hard way <laughs> I'm glad no, he's, he's got I'm glad he's got Scarborough promoted that's all I'm glad that he's done yeah, a great he's what yeah. a job he's done as manager. So he's doing he's doing some things right for a change. Just, let's just hope he's not doing the odd jobs around the training ground. <laughs> I think the last cool. one's yours, Joe. Oh, is it Matt? Oh, best memory, sorry. Best memory at the club looking back. Sorry, I missed that one. Oh, it's so many. I think the great escapes, one that comes straight up. Um, obviously, the promotions under Gary, um, under Tony. Yes, the FA Cup runs, the goals scored, um, the memories with... with players um my wife's memories obviously the kids as well growing up with the other kids yeah so many great memories such a great club such a great club have you got a lot of players that you, you know still talk to you mentioned you speak to Zoltan Gear every now and then is it just still speak to a lot of the, the players you played with there yeah still keeping in contact with Mozza and Brunty um obviously Jono Kev um we did like a reunion group call didn't we not so long ago yes uh, to celebrate to celebrate the um was it 20 years um so was it 20 years or 10 years 20 years it is. 20 years it was yeah the renewed yeah, yeah. so yeah i mean yeah we I, i'm on my, i'm on my coaching badges with brunty at the moment so i'm on pro license with brunty so i'll see him in the summer so it'd be great to catch up with him over there again um but no yeah I, like you say you you never lose contact with them people that you you had so many great memories with yeah they'll be with you for life so yeah i'll always be in contact with them people because they're great people Fantastic. And just finally, we do a little game with every guest at the end where you can just imagine you're in a you're in a tour, you're a manager in a five side tournament but, and you've got yeah. to pick a side with two subs. But all you can pick from is the players that you played with at Albion. So you've yes. got your five side and two subs. Yeah, so, so I definitely had Jonathan Green up front. Um, I had, I, I remember I did this one. I think I had Dean Kiley in goal. So I had Dean Kiley in goal. I had Neil Clement because uh, I couldn't pick myself. So I had Neil Clement and who did I have at the back? Or did I just have Neil Clement at the back? Yeah, Dean Carney in goal. <laughs> I had Neil Clement. I had Jonathan Green in midfield with Zoltan Gear up. Kev Phillips up front. I was going to say, I got our Phillips up front. Yeah. yeah, so I think I just had the one defender, Neil Clement. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I knew that he'd clear everyone out because he was yeah. the type of guy who would. <laughs> 
as well. And he, like, and he probably smash a few in from the other exactly, end of the pitch that from, left foot as well. From set piece delivery, Clem's on point. He's guaranteed to score a few goals. <laughs> and just two super subs. Who, who would you have as your sort of super subs? Your super subs. Yeah, Jeff Orsfield definitely. Jeff Orsfield as a super sub. Um, and a midfielder, uh, attacking midfielder, I would have Robert Curran. Yeah. Fantastic. That's some team. I, I, I can't remember the other two teams. We've had two guests on so far. I can't remember the other two teams. There was one, someone had Victor Anachebi on the bench. I think he'd be a bit of a beast in a five-a-side game. Yeah, he would be. Yeah, he'd be, yeah. be bench-pressing players ready for fun. He would be. He'd be a, he'd be a battering round. Paul Robertson, thank you very much for coming on the Baggies broadcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I know... You know, as an Albion fan, I've really enjoyed sort of reminiscing and listening to them, those great times. And I'm sure the Albion fans that listen to this podcast will, will, will sort of really look back with a with a smile on their face on that that really really happy time. So uh, you know, enjoy the summer, enjoy uh, enjoy your enjoy your time off because you know the the season starts earlier this year. So I'm sure pre-season will be round before we know it. Well, um, don't don't say that. <laughs> so uh, yeah, thank you very much for coming on the Bags broadcast. Really appreciate it. Best of luck and, and best of luck for next season. No, thank you very much for having us, fellas. Cheers. Mate. Cheers.